Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Max Cutler. Max is the owner of Thrive Athletics. And throughout the years, we have found a mutual respect for one another, both in the way that we program for our clients and our members, as well as our thinking about where our time should be most spent in our mission to, to helping the average person. And Max and I will go out to breakfast and just kind of shoot the shit on all things fitness and talk about what we think is up and coming, what's going on that's good, what's going on that's bad, and try to work through some of the higher level problems within the fitness and CrossFit community. So we dive into all of this as part of the podcast, and it was a very enjoyable conversation. And to be quite honest, had I not had uh, a meeting that I had to get to after this, we could have easily have talked for three hours. So I know for a fact that we will have Max back on, so I really hope that you love this one. Max Cutler, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Super exciting having you. We had to do a little shift in rooms. It was, uh, I, I almost had a big chaotic moment. I bought a new cord for our uh, Roadcaster Pro and didn't realize that it wasn't going to connect to, uh, to any of the USB boxes we had in the gym. So we're, <laughs> we're plugged into another room inside of a computer, but it's it, we're making it work. We're here. We're here. Um, so... Max and I have had a number of sit downs throughout the years where, you know, we, we get together and we, and we sit and talk about everything, exercise science, CrossFit, the state of, of CrossFit currently, um, and then everything, in, you know, in the operational side of things inside of our gyms. And I would say that more times than not, we're fairly congruent. 100%. Um, we come to agreement. And I feel That's like... That's why we keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> precisely, right? That's why we're in business. Um, so I feel like there is some really, really good points we can linger on and uh, that the audience would, would take a lot from. So, awesome. um, yeah, we can just dive right in. Uh, first and foremost, current state of CrossFit. Yeah, so... The current state of CrossFit goes in a couple different directions when you take it into sport and you take it into uh, the gyms themselves, what, 15,000 affiliates. Um, I would say from a very general standpoint, it's if you went gym to gym, it's relatively successful because the ones that are still open and operational are, are doing really well. Um, and the ones that kind of shift and change their models and change their beliefs away too far from CrossFit, I think are the ones that struggle the most. From a community aspect. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've had the privilege now, you know, after being open for almost 11 years, um, in being part of a number of different mentorship groups that have focused on the optimization of the micro gym business. So I'm starting to see the cream of the crop uh, across the board, you know, in, from everywhere from the UK to the United States. So I get to see it from an operational side. Um, but as part of that, you know, the longer you're in business, the more time you have to refine your skills and your staff and the way that you program and run your business from an operational side of things. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, you know, the longer you can stay in business, the more refined your product and service becomes. Yes, it becomes, uh, it becomes very easy per se. 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, it becomes easy and it becomes, uh, it's just a, con- it's constantly an improved iteration of what previously existed. Yeah, and it's funny because I know we've talked about this before, but like if you go back to old programming and you look at what you've written, you're like, damn, I would, oh. I would never do that again. No, no, no. <laughs> that's actually, we should linger on that point. That's a really funny uh, point. Like it, Max and I have both uh, highlighted this, that like if we look back at programming, because if you've been programming for your gym for five plus years even, you can look back and see some of the workouts you wrote and you're just like, holy crap, like I used to smash people for a living. Or you're like, what was I thinking? Right. Like, I mean, I we look back all the time, but um, there's things we obviously love and we're like, oh, I can't believe we forgot about that. Let's bring that back, that concept. And then there's sometimes we're like, people must have been dying that week. Like, yeah. Oh my God, the loading was unbelievable that week. One of my favorites for me was... Um, I looked back, we used to, so out of our programming, we have a different intention set for every day. And I had a section that was like hard bat archive. And, uh, I looked back and found a week where I programmed an open workout every day of the week. There you go. So it was like prep. So it yes. was like, it was like three weeks before the open. And I'm like, all right, 15, one on Monday, 18, two on Tuesday. And I'm like, what were you doing? Yeah, dude? exactly. <laughs> you're like reaching, trying to make things work. And you're like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Yeah. That's like the, it's like the concept of, this is like my least favorite thing on earth, but it's like Murph prep. It's like, you should not have to prep for Murph if you're doing the right things and, every day. and more importantly scaling it correctly yes. appro- like appropriately for but your, like your membership six phase. weeks out you're like let's throw a vest on let's do some push-ups and pull-ups like what the fuck am I yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> no we're, we're so far removed from that it's like you should be able to do Murph safely if you're yeah. if you're training all year round so when you said um you know there's this differentiator I guess there's the, kind of two camps within the current state of CrossFit which we have the competitive side, and there's obviously been some ups and downs. There's been a huge exodus and like a complete reworking of the business side of the competition side of CrossFit. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the other end, you know, you have the the health focus, right? Mm-hmm. Which was like more or less was Greg Glassman's baby. baby. Yeah. Yeah, 110%. Yeah. Um, you know, he went to court over it yeah. a number of times, right? So he that man gave his soul to that purpose. Millions of dollars. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and he fought tooth and nail for a lot of different things. Yeah. He fought the soda companies. He fought um, the NSCA. Yep. Like it was, he went to the depths yeah. <laughs> to fight for that. And it's why I still respect him. I think anyone that's involved in CrossFit has to respect that man because he, at the end of the day, he revolutionized uh, not just sport, but he revolutionized fitness itself. And Absolutely. I, I think it's really hard to do that. And we may not see another person in our lifetime that we can say that about. No. And the the iteration of sport in CrossFit has kind of evolved over time, I would say, without him, right? Um, obviously, Dave Castro is a huge part of that. He did a great job, in my opinion. But there's... The, the sport and where it's at now, we can say, is, like, there's so much money infused into it. People get into CrossFit, not because they were doing it at their gym and they were pretty good and they started training a little bit more to go to the CrossFit Games. It's like, I can make money doing this. And there's these companies, like, recently, most recently for me is, like, uh, TYR, like, the uh, the swimwear company that... I get so much advertising from them. <laughs> yes, but they but they now are sponsoring Wadapalooza all of a sudden. They just released their shoe for the first time. They're, they just started this year, and, and they put a whole bunch of money aside to go after CrossFit and try and get CrossFit athletes involved, and they sponsor everybody, right, all the big-name athletes. And having companies that are willing to spend money like that is just going to bring better athletes in, but it's also going to change the dynamic of the sport a lot, right? So, like, somebody like myself can't just train an extra hour a day and, and make it to the next step. Yeah, so that's a, that's a point I actually wanted to make. I wanted to get your thoughts on was yeah. – um, I feel like 
something that affected the programming and the culture um, around programming inside of CrossFit gyms was the fact that in 2007, 2008, and all, honestly, all the way up through like 2000, I would say maybe 12. 12. It was fairly normal that the average mom or pop or, you know, ex-athlete that was in the gym could take class, do a few extra sets, and get to the next level, right? Which was sectionals back then, yes. and eventually regionals, and then to the games. I agree. So it created this culture of people that thought, if I train as hard as I can, I might be that person, right? It kind of yeah. created this hero arc. And ultimately what started happening was members became obsessed with the gam gamification and the pursuit of trying to be the athlete rather than the fitness and longevity aspect. And owners recognized it and started writing for that purpose. So you saw this kind of like trickle down effect to the point where the owner goes, okay, well to keep people happy, I got to do like 21, 15, nine, smash mouth, lactic tolerance, CrossFit, Correct. five, six days a week. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's the concept of like relative intensity, right? Where we kind of got lost there, where it was like intensity at all costs, right? As opposed to like, I can have intensity in this set and then take a, a two minute break. Yeah. So that's, um, that's something actually I think I, I should bring up is the, so the whole constantly varied functional movements performed at high intensities. All right. I feel like people, I love the constantly varied, I love the functional movements, but I think there's an awkward dance that's being played in con like conversationally about the intensity part. Because the minute that people go like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand, it doesn't mean like absolute intensity all the time, it can mean effort. And I'm like, mm, that's something different. Agreed. So I, like, honestly, if we're going to play that game, I feel like we could just remove or replace the word. Like, I feel like intensity could be replaced with like varying um, intention or purpose. Yeah, but I think that goes along with, I, I would I would agree and disagree because I think relative intensity is, is appropriate. I think it's the gym owner, the coach, whoever's programming's job that day who's running class or whoever's programming to uh, kind of relay the message of what we're trying to get out of the workout. So why do you think high intensity would beat out varying intensity? I like relative intensity. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But same concept, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's important for for members to understand that this isn't easy, right? And this is meant to be hard. But as long as you can hammer home some, I call them prereqs in class, but like you have to be able to do certain things before you move on to the next step, right? And CrossFit is so cool in my opinion because of all of the different levels, right? I know you guys use the level method, but there's so many different next steps. When you get good enough at this, you get to now do this in a workout. When you're strong enough to do this, you can add a little bit more weight. And having all the prereqs necessary is cool, right? I like the fact that you can have all the prereqs on Monday and then handstand push-ups come up on Tuesday and you don't have the prereqs to do that movement. So you have to go back to the first scale, right? I like the fact that people can be in different categories and you're constantly working towards it. So as long as the relative part comes in there and you understand that, hey, on Monday I have all the prereqs for this workout. I can get after this workout because I can do 15 strict pull-ups. I can do 15 strict dips, right? But on whatever the next day is, I can't run a sub eight minute mile. I'm just really out of shape when it comes to aerobic fitness, right? So I got to work on that. I got to scale the, the reps down or the weight down so I can still get what I want to get out of the workout. I think that's the coach's job to, to do that. It is. I think where I run into a problem is in the lack of systems or the lack of – it is – I find it to be very impossible to imagine a world where a part-time coach is able to is able to adjust for every single member inside of a class at scale, 
So in other words, even for a full-time coach, if you have 15 people in class and yeah. you've got five components, the reality is if you, you're going to end up spending half of your class, if, if you're doing it right, just making sure that everyone has the right weights and is doing the right tempo and is operating at the right intensity if you don't have systems in place. And I think that that's why for yes. you and I, having systems in place and giving, as you were speaking to, the, the prerequisites to each member on an individual basis, yeah. it's, it, what it does is it covers most of your bases before class even gets started. So then you're not caught up in the minutia um, during class and you yeah. can get to the real nuts and bolts of the workout. I agree. And and that goes into like something you said earlier on, which is like how you evolve with a, as a programmer, right? And how you evolve as a, as a coach meaning me and you were programming for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, right? Um, I can say that we honestly program now where anybody can walk in our gym because of the different options we have and the time caps that we put on movements, the time caps we put on full workouts, you know how to scale it, right? Even if you're a brand new member, the coach doesn't have to necessarily address every person right away because... I'll say, hey, these double unders need to take you 30 seconds or less. If they take you longer than 30 seconds, cool, right? We have days where, hey, today's a really great day if you want to try double unders in a workout, right? Like this Thursday, we did a 90 second of double unders with a partner uh, in a workout format. But the, the week before was for time workout. And I'm, hey, today's not the best day to try double unders. So as long as the coach knows, hey, if you have a, a person who's kind of in between, right, certain movements, uh, today's not that day, right? Or today is that day. Right. And, and that goes for the style of workout, what you're willing to put out to your coaches, to your members and how you can almost train them to understand how to look at a workout, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I, to, to your point, I think that it's it's really important to help your members understand the intentions behind each workout yep. so that they can then relate that to a sensation. So it's like. I want my member to genuinely understand the difference between an aerobic power output or effort versus like a lactic tolerance effort, right? Lactic tolerance, I don't care how good a shape you're in, that's going to suck. I don't yep. care how bad a shape you're in, that's going to suck, yep. right? Whereas when you start talking about like aerobic power, aerobic power endurance, aerobic endurance, it's like the more that a member can relate an, an intention to a sensation, the more they're, they're going to get out of the workout. I think that part of the problem with a lot of CrossFit gyms is that the there's too much um, emphasis placed on the suffering, where it's just the the center of the bullseye is I'm going to come in and I want pain. Like, I want to be as uncomfortable as possible, yeah. and that means that I did a good job. Yeah. I mean, that's how I started CrossFit, right? I'm sure you too. Me right? too. I, I mean, everyone yeah. does that. Yeah. And, and I would say that that's gone away for many reasons, because kind of like what we had before we kind of went on air is like, there's so many options now, right? And people are willing to try things out. And everybody knows somebody that's at a different gym, right? So it's like, hey, I really just haven't liked what we're doing in here. I'm going to leave, right? Like that happens all the time. I'm going to go to this gym because they work out with intention. And we're not just kind of, hey, this is on the board today. We're going to deadlift and back squat and do all these things every single day, right? Um, but I will say that like, Having somebody be able to come in, like you said, and, and understand what that sensation is supposed to feel like, um, I think changes the game. You're almost training your members to coach or program or, or just understand at a higher level. And a deeper appreciation of their own fitness. Yes. Um, because I, I, I think what, what starts to happen is if you're just chasing the feeling of being exhausted, you're not really – there's no, no, no lesson there, yep. right? Like, And it's also hard to discern um, or differentiate – 
what's making me better and what's making me worse or isn't helping. You know, like if you're constantly just like, you know, jamming thrusters down your throat yeah. and like going as fast as humanly possible, it's hard to go, oh, the reason why I was unable to finish that set was because of leg strength endurance, not heart rate, not breathing. Ooh. So it, it starts, it all gets kind of blended together when the answer or when the thought is just go as fast as I can. Yeah. And I think that goes into what intention you set for your members the day they walk in your gym for the first time, right? Like, I know I've shifted how I sell our gym, right? I know you have as well, but it's like, hey, I want you to do this for the rest of your life. And if we take that approach over the next two years and you learn how to do all these things the right way and you learn what this feels like and what that feels like and how this is supposed to be, you're going to be good for the next 40, 50, 60 years, right? And I, I, I just think I didn't do a good enough job early on selling that. I agree. Um, I'm sure you're in the same boat. And like when you start to sell that to people, I don't want to say sell, but when you start to talk to people about it, um, they almost light up, right? And they and they kind of are like, okay, cool. And their first six months are so much better than how a member five years ago for me would have been their first six months. They understand that like, hey, I might be a little slower here. There might be some women that are just whooping my ass using heavier weight than I am, all right? And sometimes that's super emasculating for men. I feel like men have the hardest time coming into CrossFit gyms, right? Um, that's why they're prim- most CrossFit gyms are more women, to yeah. my understanding. Well, yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying, right? And, like, the way that that's being sold and, and kind of the community that we've built personally around that model of that longevity model, the people are just way easier to step foot in the gym and, and talk to somebody like, Hey, I was there six months ago. Like just trust it. Just trust the process, right? Do this the right way. Listen to them, scale things properly and you'll be on the right path. Right. And I think having proof of concept, I always say that is so important, but like if you can come into class and you're talking to Derek and I'm talking to Iris and Katie and all these people and it's like, Hey, I lost 50 pounds. I've been here for 10 years. Right. I lost a hundred pounds. I've been here for three years. Like, okay, cool. This stuff works, but that's intimidating if you didn't know. Right. And like those people almost know to come and talk to the new person because it is intimidating. You see all these fit people, but they weren't always like that. Yeah. And I think uh, something that um, is worth noting is that culture takes time to change. So our my gym has evolved, as I'm sure yours has throughout the years so much. And I think owners a lot of times get discouraged when they change programming styles, they change onboarding processes, they change, um, you know, the, the, the way that they're coaching um, and pro- programming, and they get this like backlash from, from some members. They may even lose a few people here and there. Yep. But what they don't realize is over the next year, right, you're going to have some level of churn and you're going to have new bodies coming through the door. And now all of a sudden, you know, two years later, you look back and the new people that have come in and adopted your new methodology and the way that you go about things have recreated your culture. So it takes time, but it is more than worth it. Because if your gym is just like, nothing but hardcore competitors. And look, some gyms are able to pull that off. Which I don't know how they do it. it I think it just depends on where you live. Um, I really do. And, and the type you're going to attract a certain type of clientele. They absolutely exist. What I would say, though, is that those gyms 1,000% have a higher churn rate. Why? Oh, because it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You're right. And and arguably, 90% of the people that are, you know, in air quotes, being competitive, probably shouldn't be doing that. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, the The... The culture shift for us personally was going from like a strength skill before the Metcon model, right? Which I think everybody did five years ago, six years ago, right? It was just like what everybody did. Um, And there was a Ben Bergeron podcast when he first started Chasing Excellence. And he talked about 
this conditioning-based CrossFit model. And that's how we, Blaine and I, kind of adopted that style of programming. And at first, it's like, we're doing a lot less in class. And people would be like, well, what are we doing, right? And then all of a sudden, like, over the one, two, three-year shift, it's like, we don't have as many injuries, right? We can do everything really, really well, but we don't do anything amazing, right? I don't have as many females that can back squat 250 pounds now, but I have some people that can back squat 195, but they can also run a six minute mile and do all these things. They're not hurt. Yep. We're not doing this long back squat cycle for 12 weeks, eight weeks, like we used to do every winter. Um, and there's all these things that we kind of, we kind of left behind when we started shifting our model for programming. And obviously that stuff evolves and we're big on intervals now and we can get into all that stuff too. But, um, it's just amazing how our membership has almost aged with that. And it was like perfect timing, right? Cause I had like people in their thirties, early thirties that still wanted to get after it. still wanted to lift heavy, still wanted to do the muscle ups two times a week and do all these things. And now those people are, have multiple kids and, and their, their brothers and sisters come in and everybody's in their forties now. And it's just a completely different demographic. And almost as like our programming shifted with how our membership was aging Yep. Um, and we've been able to retain those people and gain more in that category. And it's it's been awesome. Like the community that's been created from that has been awesome. One thousand percent. I love that. I, I I love listening to people like Peter Atia when they talk about kind of backcasting your life and imagining yourself as that 70, 80 or 90 year old and thinking about what are the things I need to be able to do when I reach that age? Like, how do I be that badass 80 or 90 year old? Yep. And then backcasting or reverse engineering your life to a point where you are now in this this very moment and saying like, OK, well, what do I need to be doing now to become that then? And I think the more we can have conversation around that and the more that we can get buy-in from members, I think it'll really reduce this feeling of instant gratification and the need to chase things like novelty. Yeah. I, I, I turned somebody away last week. Somebody came in and they were like, hey, I have a wedding in three months and <laughs> I want to get after it. And Isn't I wanna, it amazing and that I, that's still a thing? And I want to, dude, it's so, it's such a thing. And not, not that people can't have short-term goals. Agreed. Right? I don't want to rob them of that. I will support your short-term goals, but like I am not that we're not that place, right? right? Like, I'll. how about this? It's like, you can sign up here and we will work you towards your goal for that three months, but you're planning on staying. Yes, because like, it's just like one-on-one, -on -one, that's okay. If somebody came to you and was like, hey, Derek, I want you to personal train me for the next 90 days and I want you to do my nutrition too and I, and I have this, this date on the calendar. Sure, I'll help you out with that, right? As long as the goals are realistic. Right, right. And I can look at you and say, okay, we can make that happen, right? Yeah. Um. But I, I almost sell the gym as like, hey, if that's what you're looking for, we're not the people for you, right? And like being okay with saying that was hard in the beginning. But oh like, my gosh, it's so tough. It's You're like, I'm turning this person's money down, but it's like, it's just not going to work out, right? You're just not going to like what we do, how we do it, like, and that's okay, but like we are, I'll be here when you want to like do this forever. But that example you just gave is exactly why your culture has improved. Correct. Because- yeah. There in the beginning, and, and we've all been through this, right? When you first open a business, especially you were you were twenty one, right? Yep. I was twenty two. You're in full on desperation mode. And I took over an existing business, so it was hard, right? And I don't mean to cut you off, but like coming in at twenty one with people that were so much older than me, and now I am quote unquote in charge and running things was hard. Oh, I had to work so hard, right? I had to lead by example times a million. Right? I didn't drink for like two years because you're like, because <laughs> you're like in the gym working, like networking, being a professional, being an adult, like 
I didn't see my friends for like a year. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just like, you're trying to earn these people's respect almost because I came into this, what already was existing community. Um, so that was like just something that is on, on another planet, right? I, I mean, it's it's fun to look back on, but I, I would yeah. not do that today. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, but that's the, that's the beauty of hindsight in business, Exa- right? Exactly. Um, so real quick, to just to kind of jump back a little bit, because I feel like we could touch on this point a little bit more. Where, what are your feelings on the, the current state of CrossFit as it relates to the competitive side? Yeah, that's cool. I, I want to get into this. So um, it's extremely competitive, right? Um, I almost think like Chris Spieler has this part of his program. It's like RX plus or, or whatever he calls it. Right. Um, and it's like for the, for the RX athlete that wants to do a little bit more. Right. Cause like, that's kind of what he's turned into. Right. Which is cool. Um, but I almost like, uh, Brian Quinlan who owns CrossFit Explode in Westchester, he has this like amazing line. Right. And it's like, I want to go to the CrossFit games or I want to go to regionals or I want to do this thing. And he's like, okay, cool. How much time do you have? Right. And like, that's the first question and probably the only question that matters because that's what it's going to take. Even if you are a Division One athlete, you are going to have a whole side of your game that is completely weak, right? Because most athletes only do the things they're good at. That's why they're doing their sport, right? Because they're good at power output or they're good at cross-country and long distance. But there's so much the competitive side of CrossFit that you can't just come off the street and be good anymore. You can't just take a, a freak athlete and turn them into a regional athlete because they're going to have holes and those holes are going to be exposed. And... Um, the sport itself is awesome. I love it. I love how it's evolved. I love how competitive it's gotten. Um, there's some things that I would change, which are out of my control. Right. Um, but that's why I'm not in control. Um, but do you you feel like CrossFit, um, HQ has become more open to feedback since some of the changes have been made within the, um, the corporate side of that? Absolutely. Right. Obviously, uh, Dave coming back, I think his role is pretty cool. I've been following some of this stuff. I don't know if you have as well, but his stuff has been cool. Um, I like the weekly reviews that he's been doing. Um, I think that the CrossFit shifting back in 2019 when Greg got rid of regionals was hard, right? Um, I think that that put like a two-year gap because CrossFit was on this trajectory of, of crushing it, right? And there were so many people coming into the sport and that 2019 timeframe kind of put a pause because there were people like myself uh, that were on the bubble. And you're like, well, now it's only like the top – 0.01% make it to regionals, right? Because there was sectionals or sanctionals, right? Right. Um, and it kind of discouraged some people. And then bringing the formats back to how they are now, I think is awesome. I think how it is right now with the online quarterfinal, the in-person semifinal, and then obviously the games uh, is an awesome format. And I think that the feedback from the community is what turned it into that. Yeah, and it seems as though I just listened to a podcast with the guys on Training Think Tank, and they were talking about how uh, some of the the higher ups, like Justin Berg and them, are actually starting to reach out to some of the major camps, like coaching yeah. camps, and ask them for feedback before going into the event on things like quarterfinals and the open, um, both in terms of the experience for the athlete, but also the experience for the coach and the experience of the community. Yeah. Because I feel like that's kind of the trifecta right there as far as like CrossFit's influence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The, how it's effect on the community is interesting, right? Like when I I qualified in 2021, right? Uh, And uh, it was awesome. I mean, our community rallied around, uh, me so much and just like the people in the surrounding community right different gyms kind of rallied because i was the only person from this area that made it there right which was cool yeah um 
but how it affects the community is, has completely separated in my opinion, right? It is so far-fetched for somebody who takes class every day in the kind of model that you and I are running, uh, meaning like a longevity model, to be like, you can do that stuff, right? Like, I don't ever work out in front of my members. I know I've said that to you off air, but like, yeah. I always work out by myself because I want to be their coach when I'm coaching class. So I had people that were members of them for five years that did not know that I qualified for semifinals until I made a post about it. They had never seen me work out. Yeah. And they were like, you can do that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I just finished top 120 in North America. And they're like, holy shit. Um, and what I'm trying, my point being is like, it's so, so far apart. Like the quarterfinal workouts themselves are so far from what you or I would program in a class setting that it's like people that just take class and are going through their day-to-day, they have kids, they're working and they're just coming to us to be healthy and they're putting their trust in us so they don't have to think about it. They look at those workouts and they're like, holy shit, that is crazy, right? Yeah, and I think this brings up an important point, which is any coach that's worth their weight in salt had moments when certain workouts come out during the open where they go, this isn't going to be pretty or this isn't what I want for my membership base. And I think CrossFit has a duty now to start to really reevaluate whether a workout that has a hundred deadlifts in it at 225 is appropriate for the general public. And if that's doing more good or harm for the communities inside of the affiliates. Yeah. So I, we, we're, we're definitely going to agree to disagree on this side of things. Um, I think the structure that is the open right now being three weeks, um, I think it's okay if there is a workout like that. Um, do I think it's, it's appropriate to do every day? Absolutely not. Um, do I think it's a reason for these people to kind of test the waters a little bit with some things? If it's scaled appropriately? Yes. Um, the three week open has been awesome for the community because when there was the five week open and regionals and the open mattered for me, it was so hard to mentally lock into helping people in the gym when I could just think about my video, me redoing the workout, all these things, because the open was so important. Now the open is a community thing. It's three weeks, three Fridays. We don't do redos at our gym. So it's like, Hey, on Friday, we have a community workout, right? Back to your point. Do I think 100 deadlifts, 225 is appropriate? Probably not. <laughs> Are anybody, is anybody in my gym ever going to do 100 deadlifts, 225 with a 10-minute time cap? No. So most people are going to do 50 to 60. So I'm okay with the workout, right? Yeah, my, my trouble came, I always think about the, the, the kind of like the risk and reward of every single workout that people do. I have no problem with people attempting their first muscle up or trying something new for the first time or pushing themselves a little bit harder and needing an extra day of recovery. But no one felt good after that workout. Yeah, but most people only did 50 or 60 deadlifts. And I mean, I know I can speak for our membership base. Like I told them that before we started the workout, right? I'd always do the workout before I always teach it, uh, especially with the open workouts. So it's like, hey, most of our membership base is going to be getting to the one to 10 part. Nobody's going really back down. And if you're fit enough to go back down, you're probably okay to handle it, right? Um, Now, I personally program with tight time caps for those reasons. Um, So when I saw the time cap, I was like, okay, cool. Nobody's doing 20 reps a minute for 10 minutes besides probably me, right? Um, So so like total volume-wise, they weren't really doing a whole lot. Um, I saw a lot of people like, how could they program 100 deadlifts 225? And it's like 99% of people didn't do 100 deadlifts 225. 
right? Out of all the people that signed up for the open. So it's like not a huge deal. Most people are doing 60 at the most, which yeah, you can I, do so 60 deadlifts. I'll admit that part of my reservation is also the fact that like we just don't program high volume deadlifting here well, rarely ever. I don't, we don't program high volume deadlifting. We don't program deadlifting in Metcons in my gym. So like, right. So, yeah. so that's part of, of my gripe then is, is, you know, deadlifting is already a challenging enough, uh, movement pattern for somebody that doesn't hinge on a regular basis, right? Like if you don't possess proper hip flexion agreed, and you can't demonstrate a kettlebell deadlift, you probably shouldn't be doing deadlifts, let alone heavy deadlifts from the floor, let alone heavy deadlifts from the floor alongside of a hard cardiovascular output. So I, I agree with you. Um, and I, I mean, I would scale the workout to meet the person's needs just so as I would with anybody else. I don't make it a huge deal for people to sign up for the open. Right. I have members in my gym that would have finished like top five in the state, but they just don't sign up for the open because they don't care. Right. Yeah. So like we do the open workout on Friday night, we have food brought in, we do all this stuff and it's a huge community thing. And like, to your point, like I'll have somebody deadlift off blocks and do push ups. I love it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like so, in other words, it's less, it's less concerning for you as to, where, where they're able to submit their score yeah. than it is that they just do the workout alongside other people. Yeah, like it's a community building event. It allows everybody to kind of rally around and do it. It's a reason to come on Friday night and hang out and bring some drinks and yeah. have, bring their kids and, and do all this stuff, right? Which is which is totally cool. I have people that have been doing the Open for 10 years now and I encourage them to sign up for it and submit your score, right? And like I love seeing that our gym is top in the state every year, right? Like alongside a couple other gyms. But like I don't, I don't, I don't stress it anymore. I used to stress it a lot because I was like hardcore, like, hey, we got to have 100 people signed up for the Open and everybody submit their scores by Monday at 8 p.m. And yeah. Like, I'm just over that, right? I'm, I'm, I think I'm past that, as is my membership base. They don't care anymore. Um, some people do, some people don't. But, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I always, it's, you know, kind of back to what you were talking about with Brian Quinlan saying, like, how much time do you have? That's my thing when it comes to anyone that has a specific pursuit or kind of like narrowed focus inside of the gym is it's like, look, I'm all on board with you if I feel that your goals are being reasonably met by the level of sacrifice on your end. Correct. Because like, I mean, our whole our whole talking point right now is competitive CrossFit, right? So it's like the fittest person in most CrossFit gyms in America is not even close to making the top 120 in North America. Right. Right. Um and that's hard to fathom, right? Because, like, we'll go to competitions and my members be like, oh, my God, that person's so good. And, wow, that person is the fittest person here by so much. And I'm like, they're, like, top 1,000. The example right? I always make is, you know, 10 years ago, it, 10 years ago, people would look at the top games athletes or even just the games athletes and say, the gap between me and them isn't that large. It's not the same as, like, an NBA player. Correct. And now I would say that, the difference between you and Matt Frazier is the same as you and LeBron James. A hundred percent, right? Because like the, um, I use the analogy of like top fifty in the world. Because top forty in the world is is the games, right? Um, but forty through sixty is probably good enough to be there too. Um, they just might have like misstepped on a workout. Yeah, right? where the they, programming wasn't they, set. For they, them. they missed a they missed a, a double under, right? Like right. Um, and then there's another, there's like a, the 1A, like Division One AA, right? It's like where UD plays. It's like, okay, that's like 60 to like 300. All those people could go to a competition, and if the program turns out to be the right way, 
the 275th person might beat the 65th best person. And then after 300, the gap is so large, right? Like it's, it's gotten to the point where like somebody who RXs every workout in your gym and crushed it every single day would lose by five minutes in right. a for time workout. Like it has shifted so much. Like I can float in the D1 AA realm because of the prior work I've put in and the athletic ability that I have. But for me to make a jump to 60 to 40 in the world would require me to quit my job. Right. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we're at a point where all of the top guys and girls, you're, you're not going to see very many, like there might be the anomaly that's able to maintain college or a career and trying to train, but they have no life outside of that. Yeah. They don't do anything else. Right. Yeah. And they probably also have already put so much time and effort into their fitness at that point. Correct, right? Like, I mean, I can speak personally on that. And, like, I started training competitively in 2017. Uh, 2018, I made a huge jump, right? But I did nothing for a full year. Like, I mean, nothing. I ate the same food every day for a year. I went to bed at the same time every day. And I was almost made regionals. And I didn't make it to my first semifinal. We're talking 2017. Yeah. Until 2021, right? I qualified in 2019, but I was with a team. 2020, I made it, but it was COVID year, right? Uh, but I didn't get to be in person until four years later, which like, hey, back to your original point, I want to be competitive at CrossFit. How much time do you have? It's like, how much time are you willing to spend on this? This isn't a one-year thing. We're not putting the date next year this time frame. We're putting the date like two or three years down the road this time frame. And you're going to have to do the right things day in and day out for two to three years. And that's hard for people to grasp. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I think it almost has to – I don't – Blaine and I had this conversation the other day about competitive athletes and like starting to compete. And this is a question that I'll pose to you, right? Um, how do you figure out who is going to be competitive next, right? It's kind of what you asked me, but like there's nobody in your gym right now that you would say, hey, I think you should really start training a little bit more and you'll have a shot, right? Yeah, so I'm going to expand on this because I, I, I've actually been spending a lot of time thinking about the filter system we use to determine things like programming and exercise selection for everyone that walks through my door. And I think that the system that I've come up with is applicable, is equally applicable to a high level athlete as much as it is to a grandma and grandpa. Okay. And the way that it works is, so the very first thing we look at is like, what's your starting point, right? Age, height, weight. Do you have any restrictions or limitations? What's your previous uh, injury history? What's your training life look like? How long have you been working out? What types of things have you done? What have you had success with? What have you had failure with, right? Um, so we got to get like a snapshot of like what your current ability ability level is. Okay. The second thing is I, you have to look at goals, right? Yeah. What are your goals and if I were to take someone that is living the life as the person with the goals that you're trying to attain, so you're looking at, you know, let's say it is a regional level athlete. It's like, do you want to assume that person's entire life, right? It's like a onesie. Yeah. You don't get to pick and choose. It's, it's not it's, articles of clothing. It's, it's like, so true. do you want some of it or do you want all of it? Because if you want some of it, then we need to redefine what your goals are, Yeah, right? Because it's, I, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, but you're like, fine. Let's but jump like, in. But like, how would you ever say, hey, I think this is a good idea? Right, because that that was what Blaine asked me. He was like, "How would you be like? Yeah, I think you have a shot." Because we, you and I both know he knows. Right, this is a two, three, four, maybe five year thing, and you still might not make it. Right, right. So like, how do I, how do I say yes? I'll help that person because I, I told Blaine I was done work with competitive CrossFit athletes. Right, I was like, it's just so hard. 
they could just up and leave and go to the next person, right? They could be like, hey, Derek, I need help. I, I just worked with Max for two years. He built me up to this, and, and now I want to work with you, right? So it's like, how do I say, yeah, I'm willing to help that person or I'm willing to, to take the risk on that? Well, I think it is um, just adjacent to what I was talking about in terms of kind of the, the thought process of an entrepreneur, which is when you work a nine-to-five, you say, okay, I put in, I give this much effort and this much input and I get this output, right? It's like, it's like one in, one out. You know what you're getting, it's guaranteed. Yep. When you are an entrepreneur, you're putting in the work without the guarantee. And I think the same is true for the athlete or the coach of the athlete. Yeah, because there's a difference between coaching and programming for somebody, right? And I, I think that's hard to grasp too, right? Because some people are like, well, I coach this person, but really they just write programming, right? You're right. not actually watching video, critiquing movement, fixing movement, doing all these things. So it's like, okay, if I want to actually coach somebody, would I need to be in person with them? Do I have the time? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my? Is it worth money? Like how much money is that worth, right? Um, and is it something I actually want to do? Or, which is, this is a question I posed to Blaine and I'll pose to you. Are we too late to the game, right? There are these huge camps, there are all of these competitive programs at your fingertips for $50, right? Uh, there's these coaches and these places you can go to train think tank in Georgia or uh, Vegas to underdogs or Boston to comp train, right? Like there's, there's all these camps that like, once you get good enough, you kind of just want to go be around other people. Is it, is it worth your time or my time to say, Hey, we are willing to help out a competitive CrossFit athlete. So I think it's really important. This is, this is a good point. So I think it is important as a coach to recognize what you're able to offer to the athlete and are you what are you willing to contribute because you know the irony of those camps is that the majority of the money they make isn't from the top athletes of they're they're so. paying the top athletes yeah. it is the draw of the people that want to become the top athletes Correct. that are paying buco bucks to be there right yep. The athletes are being – so the top-level athletes are being paid. The athletes that are just underneath of them are probably paying very little, if anything. Yep. And then it's like that bottom 80% or more that is dumping everything they have in terms of you know their well, finances. It's in, the monthly reoccurring they're paying, right? Like look yeah. at Mayhem, for instance, right? Like they charge 50 bucks a month. And right, but you're getting – what you're getting is programming. Right. That's totally different from what we were talking about in terms of like you coaching an athlete. I, I agree. My point being is like – how much are you going to have to charge to help this person, right? Because realistically, if they're going to pay for Mayhem's programming, right, and then they get their coach at their local gym to be like, hey, can you watch me do some snatches and fix this real quick, right? Or like, oh, hey, let's do an Olympic lifting session for 75 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever, right? One time, once a month. Like, is it worth yours or my time to say we're willing to take on a competitive athlete. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. I think it entirely depends on how you value your time and that pursuit as a coach. So in other words, like, like you, would you, would you do it? So this is actually interesting because I, an athlete and, and I myself just split for this very reason. Um, and it was totally, um, it was totally mutual and everything was, was cordial. And like, we're, we're going to remain friends forever because, you know, we work together and totally different capacities with like, you know, weight loss and mindset and all this stuff. So like, we're always, you know, going to be always going to have that, right. We're never going to yeah. take that for granted. But I had, um, an athlete that we, we went to powerlifting nationals and took third. Right. And like, we went from a two fifty squat to a three eighty squat in a year, which is freaking ridiculous. Insane, right. Um, and it, it did take a lot of time, but it it became very apparent that I was at a we were at a point where I 
and for her, we're both going to have to increase our level of commitment in order to take it from third to first to worlds. Yep. And for me, right, as a soon-to-be father, yep. which I don't, I don't even yeah. know if you know that. I yet, know, but, but that's yeah. Awesome. So that's yeah. We're, it's officially coming out next week, but okay. I can say it on this because this is going to be far beyond that. Dude, so. that's so awesome. Yeah, thank you. So as a soon-to-be father, um, you know, with a with a growing business, you know, we're growing at forty percent a year and growing the team here and dedicating myself into providing opportunities for them. I have to be very, very diligent about being thoughtful with the way I spend my time, you yeah. know, and the reality is if someone's paying, let's just say their membership and $100 in addition to that, it's like, look, that's great. And I understand that that's a big commitment for somebody, but I also can take a teen in here that's paying at $100 an hour to be here right. for personal training four or five days a week, right? right. So it's like, you know, and I don't even want to spend that much time on the floor anymore. I want to provide that opportunity for my coaches. Right. So I just went through this process and ultimately I decided it wasn't worth it for me right now. It doesn't mean that down the road I won't choose to take that on. But for the this very moment, I just have too many other things on my plate. Like, And you have to be careful not filling your life with good stuff because you have no room for the great stuff. Yeah, I I like that. Um, for me, it was like something I said to you before we got on air, right? It's like I really want to work with people that really need my help, right? Um, not that people that are competitive don't need my help because I definitely have a lot to offer, as do you. But I want to like I want to help somebody that's in the like the sickness, wellness, fitness, and they're in that sickness and wellness area, and right. I want to help them get just healthy and live and. and recapture their life and um the competitive side of things is something where to compete with these large companies like that's what i'm trying to say right to compete with the mayhem the comp train the all these reoccurring membership bases and for me to say i coach competitive crossfit athletes because i don't ever look at something as like i coach one athlete i think about it like i said i want to build a team and build uh, a stable of competitive athletes right because uh, i think that would be fun one day uh it would require me to spend so much time making no money, right? And similar boat to you. I don't. I'm, I'm not expecting a kid, but uh, we just got married, right? Like we're we're in a kitty starting a coffee shop. We're in a, we're in a position where there's so much going on right now, right? And I just can't take the risk of six months, a year, five years, right? To say I'm gonna coach competitive CrossFit athletes and make a living doing it. Yeah, and I think. What we're starting to realize, I mean, you, you can see this mass exodus that's taking place. Like, everyone's going over to Matt at the moment to yeah, hard work pays which off. Is, which is insane. It, which is insane. And we don't need to go down that rabbit yeah. hole too far because yeah. we could really talk about that. But I think what's becoming recognized now is, like, similar to business. Like, you have to be somebody before – like, in order – like, you have to make it before you, what you have has to say has any any weight and salt, right? Agreed, dude. I, I qualified for one event, and I had people DMing me seeing if like, I would program for them. And, like, I finished last at a <laughs> semifinal. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can only imagine for him, people are probably, yeah, let's do it. I'll well, pay proof, you. The proof is in the pudding, right, right? I'll pay you 40 bucks a month times however many fucking people he has yeah. there, right? It's ridiculous. Now, what I would say is our – people in his camp or Rich's camp or any of these competitive camps, are they optimizing for longevity and health and health span? No, they're coaching a sport of CrossFit. Correct. So in yeah. my opinion, I feel like that door is wide open, you know, for people like you and I. Yeah. Um, so just to, to revert back, um, the four, four criteria I wanted to kind of bounce off of you. So that first one being starting point, second one being goals, the third one being risk versus reward, right? So 
one of the things that you and I have both addressed inside of our gyms is when it is appropriate for someone to even perform a kipping movement. Yes. When it is even appropriate for someone to perform a snatch. Yep. And if you look at it through the lens of risk and reward, when you have an onboarding process that captures a bunch of different metrics, you know, and objectives from a new member and you realize like, okay, like you have poor shoulder flexion, you don't have good scapular stability, um, when you're overhead, your elbows are bent, like right. your internal rotation's busted. All of a sudden, the question of whether this person should be snatching or not becomes very obvious. Yeah, it's 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 not a hard question to answer. Right. Like the uh, the concept of like if you can't if you can't touch your toes, I'm not gonna have you deadlift. Right. right. Like, okay, we got some bigger things to work on, like regaining your like life. Right? Well, like, and I would make the argument that those things would be actually to the detriment of that individual. Yeah. Well, they like it's it's insane to say like, hey, I think it's a good idea for you to do this right now. Right. Like, yeah, let's get you, you can't touch your toes, but let's do some touch and go power snatches. Right. 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 Yeah. It's asinine. Right. And, and how many like out of all of the, the CrossFit gyms that I follow and, and when they post classes and there's a line of 12 people doing power snatches, I'm never like, oh, that actually looks good. Yes. At least three quarters of them. I'm like, they probably shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent, right? There's like a, there's a fine line to flirt with, right? Because Greg has this line, Greg Glassman we're talking about, but Greg has this line where he says, you can't have, you, you either pick one, metabolic risk or orthopedic risk, right? Um, and he said, there's always going to be orthopedic risk in the gym, right? Because you're, you're using your body and you're doing things just as there would be in everyday life. Uh, and if you decide not to do that, you're going to have metabolic risk, right? Which which I like a lot. I like that saying a lot. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I have never heard that. And yeah. I really love the way yeah. that he breaks that down. Yeah, I love that, right? Um, but to your point, I think the the side of fitness that you and I do so well is like, I'm with you, right? You might, something might tweak, right? You're 50 years old. I don't know what you've been doing for the last 40 years. I can keep you as safe as possible, but something might go wrong when you pick a kettlebell up off the rack, right? Because you just don't take care of yourself over the last 40 years. But um, I can't stand the concept of like, our goal is to get everybody to squat snatch, right? Like, or we're going to get everybody to do double unders, right? And it's like, my grandmother doesn't need to do double unders and double unders don't mean that you're fit. Well, right? and, and most of the answers you get from a coach when you ask them, why are you having that person do that? Fall into the camp of... Well, an over demonstrating a proper overhead squat position is uh, is a way of expressing proper shoulder flexion, right? It's pro it's it's expressing uh, proper overhead stability, and it's like, okay, I understand that, but are there better ways of accomplishing that that yeah. come at far less risk? And uh, and I love the stuff CrossFit puts out, but I would just argue that like that person probably just read a CrossFit like Instagram post and was like, this is going to be my answer to Derek when he asked that question. Do you know what I mean? Well, fair. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to hit him with it. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's like, you never actually like use it in the gym. But I, I agree with you. Like there's, I say this all the time to people because double unders just always come for me. Cause in the gym, I see people get so frustrated. Right. And like, I've had these people lose 40 pounds and they can do strict pulls, but they're like, I just can't get these double unders and they're killing themselves. And like my Achilles hurt, my calves hurt. I'm like, so you've been doing double unders every day for like the first 15 minutes you get in here. I'm like, listen, you don't, 
doesn't mean you're not fit. Right. Like, it's all good. We'll figure it out. Like, that's not important, right? No, well, dubs to me are like throwing darts, right? It's like almost entirely neurological. Yeah, but like there's there's a part of like certain movements that we do in the gym that look awesome and they're like, ah, they come up once a week or once every other week and I, I want to be able to do them because I can RX everything else. And it's like, I don't care. As long as you're not in pain, you can move your body through space really, really well. You can do certain movements with your body weight with a barbell and you have unilateral strength we're good, right? We're on the, we're on the right path. And it's like, um, I think the old CrossFit gym methodology, like you said, where it's like beat your head into the ground, do all these things. I think the people that are trying to force people to squat snatch and do all these things. I think those, those two go hand in hand. That makes sense. No, I agree. And I think this is uh this is really brings me to my fourth point, which is the last one's opportunity cost, which is, I actually don't have a problem if a 50-year-old man or woman comes to me and says, Derek, I want to get good at Olympic lifting. Like, if that's their goal and their dream, I will give them the programming and the help necessary to get them there. But it's like, for that person, the amount of time that will be spent mobilizing and developing the motor control and skills necessary to be able to perform a snatch, even with an empty bar, are going to be extremely time-consuming. It's like right? a year, two years. Correct. Yeah. And if and if the the part of their goal is also you know sandwiched in there is I want to live a long life and I want to be physically active and fit, I'm going to ask them to rethink whether or not the best use of their time is trying to learn to snatch. And again, I don't want to take that away from anyone. I'm with you a thousand percent. <laughs> I, I had a client like this, a one-on-one client uh, that couldn't touch his toes. His shoulder flexion was garbage. When he laid on his back on the ground, his, his hands wouldn't touch the ground. And just all this crazy stuff, right? We accomplished this stuff in like six months. We, we fixed everything. No pain, nothing. Could sit on his heels, on the ground. It was great. He's like, I think I want to bodybuild some more. I've lost a little bit of muscle definition in my chest. And I'm like, I don't think that's it. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> right. it's like the opportunity cost of like, <sighs> I just don't think benching 315 is necessary anymore. You're 45 years old. Right. Like, 275 is good. Do you know what I mean? Like, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are we trying to do? It's like, uh, to your point with like a 50-year-old that wants to Olympic weightlift, it's like, we're going to almost have to write out the pros and cons of this so you can see what you're asking me to help you with. Right. It's like, well, and that's the thing. I don't, the the client that's coming through your door genuinely doesn't understand the risks to reward and the opportunity costs that are going to come by their, their, you know, pipe dream. Yeah. And, And look again, there are some people that that's genuinely what they want. And, and there is a, there's, there's a, a, a kind of a different dimension to this, which is fitness does need to be fun. Right. Yeah, well, it's, that's, I no. guess the parallel would be like in nutrition, it's like, sure, you know, eating your broccoli, rice and chicken every single day, unseasoned and completely bland is going to give you a shredded body, but it's also probably going to be what leads you to not sticking with that diet. And I think the same is true with fitness. You do need some novelty. You do need to try new things and, and learn different ways to challenge your body. But you also have to do that within a framework of understanding of what your current ability level is and what your ultimate goals are. Yeah. So what you just said is like, uh, probably my favorite thing, right? So like that goes on to you and I, I think, but like being creative with your community, right? And making the workouts fun, right? Is possible and still making them safe. And it's something that I know that we, I don't want to say we've mastered, but we're pretty, pretty freaking close, right? And like we have concepts we like now and it allows people to never get bored and enjoy being in the gym, 
right? And, like, it's something that, I mean, you just saying that kind of, like, made me think about it so much because I've had this conversation a million times. But, like, what we do is fun. You can do it often, and you can continue to do it over and over and over again, right? Uh, back to your point with, like, the person that wants to specialize, like, there's this, there's this, like, term I always think of is, like, us as gym owners are passing around the same 10%, right, of people that just like working out and like taking care of themselves. And they went to one gym and now they go to my gym and then they went to your gym. And like, we're kind of just passing around the same kind of people that live on, live in, in Newcastle County. Right. right? Um, and it's your, my job to go out and get the other 80% of people, right? Cause there's 10% of people that get it. There's like 80% of people that kind of think they got it, but they don't. There's 10% that just don't give a fuck, right? And we can just leave them be. But, like, <laughs> there's that middle section of, like, people that, like, think they know what eating healthy is, but they don't work out. Or they think they know what working out is to benefit themselves, but they're not doing anything else besides, like, they're eating, like, shit and drinking on the weekends, right? And, like, we need to do a better job of going and getting those people, right? Yeah, so that's actually, you know, the, the motto behind this podcast and ultimately the gym and something I've put a lot of thought into is – the goal behind everything that I do is to increase the standard of fitness and health and lifestyle for the average person in Newark. Because I recognize I the that. fact that the average person not only is the target because I want to be able to help everybody or almost everybody, right. but also because I realize that the average right now is unacceptable. Oh, it's terrible. And I don't throw that word around, you know, like e easily. Um, it's, it's unacceptable, right? The average person in your community that walks through your door it has such poor metabolic health and physical fitness. It's it's astounding. It and is. It's scary. It, it, it is scary. And the thing is, is it's, it's, I'm saying that from a place of empathy. Like I genuinely feel for them because whether or not they recognize it, I see how much it is affecting their quality of life and the quality of life of the people that they care about. Yeah, or the people that they're going to care about, like grandkids and and all that stuff. If right? they make it to there, correct. And that's these are the hard conversations that I think are important for us to have are around the decisions that you're making now are ultimately going to lead to whether or not you're going to even be able to be an active grandparent. Yeah, or or like uh, there's like this there's this concept of like when when I'm making a decision to eat or I'm making a decision to work out, it's like. Is this something I can do forever, right? And then what are the what what are the next steps to that? And like you just said, it's like, am I going to be able to be a grandparent for in twenty years, right? Or for my kids that are in your case, right? Gonna be very soon. It's yeah. like, can you look at your parents and say, Hey, you're doing the right thing? Like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna help you, but you're you're on the right path. Or is it like that's a hard conversation in itself, right? Yeah. I I I don't know. I'm kinda kinda going all over the place, but my question to you would be like, how would you, how would you kind of phrase that to somebody? Like, cause you can't come out and say it, like you said, you have empathy, but like, you can't say like, Hey, you're not going to be able to play with your grandkids. How would you term that to somebody that walks in your door? That's 50. They have kids that are ready to start having kids. Like how, what, what is the, I think it how starts, do you bring that up? I think it starts with asking questions that force them to be a bit more interoceptive or insightful about the person they want to be at different ages, right? It's like, if you have a 30 year old, it's like, well, where do you want to be at 40? How about 50? Yeah. How about 60? Like, what are the things you want to be able to do? And I think that most people don't actually think about these things because the problem is, is we have like, we have recency bias as humans, right? And the way that you feel today, 
you just kind of assume is going to be the way you feel forever, so which true. is why people freak out when they're fe- feeling anxious, right? Yeah. I'm going to be like this forever. Or when people are feeling good, oh, my body's always going to be like this. And I think that we don't take into account the true effects that aging have on us, even if you are an incredibly fit individual. And that descent on the graph slopes so much harder if you don't have a higher starting point. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you're pre-diabetic in your 40s, you are setting yourself up for a really rough couple decades. Oh, it's going to be hard. And this medicine is going to keep you alive too, which is crazy, right? So you're going to still be here, but you're just going to be a shell of the person. Right. And, And again, I think that people, unfortunately too many times don't recognize these things until it's too late. And yeah. it's so sad, man. It's so yeah. sad. It's scary. It's scary. I think the 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 state of the average human being right now, right, is something that we are losing sight of uh, from, a, from a global scale, obviously. But let's talk about in Delaware. It's like there's um, – Delaware is so small, right? And we're, we're talking in Newark and in North Wilmington and stuff. But it's like – people kind of just live in like a bubble, right? And they just kind of go through the motions. And and the hard part is like that average is going down. Like what your abilities look like is going down. And just in the seven years that I've been doing this, right, the 30-year-old that walks in my gym looks drastically different than it did seven years ago, right? That's scary to think about. Like the capability of somebody that was 30 years old that would walk into my gym seven years ago compared to the 30-year-old now. The 30-year-old now is in a way worse spot. Well, and I same think, age. I think right? we're even getting a biased selection of like a different sample size as well from uh, from the people that walk through our door because walking through our doors is already filtering out people that are willing to spend more money on their health. Yeah. So if you really want a good snapshot, it's like go to the airport yeah. or the mall. I always say <laughs> I always say go to Target or go to Walmart <laughs> and just like sit there. Yeah. But yeah, that's um, and kind of to segue like. I see it the most in middle school kids. So I see it the most in 12, 13, and 14-year-old kids. Um, their organization of their body, like we call it reorgani- reorganizing kids. Like that's what we call when we like get them to like actually be in their back chain and, and figure out how to move. Right. Um, but the way they control their body, they look like those blow-up things that are like outside of car dealerships. Like that's how I explain how kids today move. Is like you know the air things that like flop around. Yeah, just no, like like no, there's no motor control. They're motor control. They can't differentiate their their spine from their their <laughs> hamstrings. Yeah, it's bad. It's worse. I've it's the worst I've ever seen in my entire life. Like yeah. I don't remember being 12 years old and not being able to like touch my toes. Like it's crazy. The the kids we I see walk in the door. It's so scary. Yeah. Well, we're, unfortunately, we're going backwards. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think that that's you know all the more reason that what you and I are doing and the fact that we have chosen the longevity route more than putting all of our chips into the competitive side of things has greater value. And I think gives us more meaning as owners and as coaches. Yeah. Well that, I mean, that's like the, the part of your, your emotional bank account that it fills up. Right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I mean, walking into your gym today, seeing all the kids working out is freaking awesome. Right. Cause even if they don't ever step foot back in here, they have an idea of what you and Sean look like. And what that's supposed to look like, right? And, like, 
I, I can grow up and look like that, right? And those people do exist on this planet. And I do have some kind of idea of how to work out and what to do and how to move. And yeah. So the, our motto for our kids program is we want the kids to associate exercise with fun. I love that. And, and it's because like what we don't want is the kid that plays a sport for the first time and they screw up and the coach makes them does do burpees. Yeah. And now they associate it with pain and something they hate. Yeah. Or um, doing something wrong. Yeah. Right, right. Like, I don't want them to think of it as punishment. So in here, oftentimes, you know, if a, we'll run an AMRAP, I'm putting air quotes up, and, like, if the <laughs> yeah. kids look like they're not having a good time, we'll stop it early. They don't know. They don't know that. Right. Um, and uh, – or we'll, you know, make adjustments to the workout. And, and coach – our um, our coach, uh, youth coach, Sean Jones, does an absolutely amazing job at kind of uh, – of, writing the programming and coaching the classes and leading the kids most importantly awesome. um, and creating leaders of them. So yeah, it's been, it's an amazing thing watching the youth come up and, and funny enough, more times than not, it's not the fit parent that brings their kid in here. It's the unfit parent that brings their kid in and then the kid drags the parent in. I love that. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been interesting to see, but we've, we've gained quite a few members from the kids and they've just turned into complete and total badass moms and dads. Yeah, that's is awesome to watch. I love that. That's so, that's so awesome. Well, um, Max, I'm sure we could keep doing this for another two hours. We so we will definitely, I'll definitely have you on again relatively soon and we can jam on a whole other uh, set of topics, but um, tell the audience where they can find out more about you. Yeah. So uh, on Instagram, it's Max Cutler 19. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that for right now, but um, message me on Instagram if you guys have any questions for anything, but uh, it's been fun. Yeah. It's Thanks been a for ton of fun, me. man. For yeah. sure. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you again for jumping on the podcast today. I just want to take a quick second to remind you that we post a lot of free and helpful content on our social media pages. You can find us at Hardbat Athletics on Instagram and Facebook and visit our website at www.hardbatathletics.com to learn more about what we do at our facility. Let's keep raising the standard together.